0: Proverbs 20 as we continue the series here. Let's give you a second for the pages to stop turning. The five of you that still use paper instead of electronic. I'm just kidding. All right. All right, God's Word, Proverbs chapter 20. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The terror of a king like the growling of a lion whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life it's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife But every fool will be quarreling slugger does not plow in the autumn he will not seek at harvest I'm sorry he will seek at harvest and have nothing The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man, who can find? The righteous who walks in his integrity. Blessed are his children after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child makes himself known by his acts whether his conduct is pure and upright. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, then he boasts. There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance wage war. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy. And to reflect only after making vows. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Blows that wound cleanse away evil, Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Let's ask God's blessing on yet another very difficult passage. Lord, we heard today in Sunday school how all of your word is useful and profitable for equipping your saints for every good work. We claim that promise and ask that you would now use this that you would use both the reading and the preaching that the people of God may hear from heaven. Oh, Lord, speak and give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Life comes at you fast. It's a slogan for a major insurance company, not that that's been on my mind, it's not my insurance company. certainly can relate a little bit. In fact, actually, it's a brilliant marketing scheme. It's a brilliant marketing slogan because it taps in to that common experience that all humans have at some point. That common experience that we all have at some point, which is kind of one part surprise, one part confusion, and one part shock all mixed together. It's that moment where the eyes kind of go big and we just kind of go, I have no idea what's happening now. I have no idea. If you're younger in the room, you remember that is much of your childhood. I mean, in many ways, I guess you could say that that's a large part of kind of what middle school is and that adolescent period of just life comes at you fast. My goodness, everything's happening. And having to ask questions and understand That's when you begin to realize that boys and girls are different and they're mystifying. Life comes at you fast. Maybe even your young marrieds. Not just highlighting them. We've all been, or not all, many of us have been there in the past. You understand, again, that's where you begin to kind of cognitively understand, oh man, what have I done? Wow. This world is so much more complicated than what I realized. Or maybe it's when you took that first job or you took a new job. And the training, man, it all sounded good when you went through training. I mean, you're, you're being walked through and kind of handheld and you're like, I got this, I got this, I got this, training's over. And you're like, I don't got this. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. Life comes at you Fast. And trying to process and understand what's happening in the world is so complicated and sometimes so terribly confusing. And the book of Proverbs is designed to be the help for that. The book of Proverbs is designed for those moments where life comes at you fast. It's designed for those experiences, those relationships, those interactions that we have where we are just baffled with what's happening. How to interact with that boss that's really bothering you or that friend that's a little bit too clingy that you don't know what to do with. Or the neighbor who, oh man, we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Proverbs 20 particularly is helpful in instructing us in this regard. But even before we jump into the text, I do have to kind of give one bit of disclaimer. These commands in this chapter is filled with commands. Cannot and must not be understood as commands that can be fulfilled by anybody. And you go, what? I thought that, wait, what? I was reading yesterday a theologian named J. Gresham Machen, uh, one of the great Presbyterian pastors in the early 1900s, and he was writing an essay on, actually it was on schools, weirdly enough, and dealing with prayer in school and things like that. And it's interesting because he had a paragraph kind of in the end of his essay and he said, is there a greater harm that you can do to anyone than to teach them the Lord's Prayer and that they can pray it apart from Christ? Wow. It's a scathing essay about how prayer should never be in schools because the great disservice of confusing civics with Christianity he says there's no greater disservice that we do when we lay out the imperatives when we lay out the commands when we lay out the law of God and say unbeliever go be successful and so my disclaimer is when we get to Proverbs chapter 20 is if you are an unbeliever in the room I would invite you not to look at this as hey this is how I'm going to make my life successful I don't have to yield to Christ. I don't have to deal with sin. I just have to do what this says. And I can No, instead, if you're an unbeliever in the room, I would encourage you to listen to the sermon and understand this is God's design for His people. This is His kindness to His people. These are the consequences of what He gives His people. This is what life can look like in Christ and with His Spirit. You can't obey this apart from Jesus. You can't be successful in this apart from the Spirit of God. And so for us as His saints, we now come to His Word asking that God would help, understand, uh, help us to understand, open our eyes that we might live differently in light of a world where life comes at you fast. You see, part of what chapter 20 is laying out for us is that a a substantial element of what wisdom is, is simply understanding people. We've been going through this book and we've been talking about all of the different things on how to use your words in a way that's useful. We've talked about in various ways how to work in a way that's helpful. We've talked about wisdom in so many different ways. But here in chapter 20, there's a little bit of a different emphasis entirely in saying wisdom is connected to understanding, but not understanding in general, but understanding Specifically, understanding how people work. It's about getting to the inside of a person, it's getting to the inside of what's operating in the person's mind and heart. If you go to verse 5, it actually kind of frames out the larger conversation. We have an American version of this one, but it's actually the exact opposite of what this intends to mean. Verse 5 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. This is written in a time, obviously, without modern plumbing. Don't want to talk about it. (laughs) It's written in the time of a well and a well that's not done by drilling down with, you know, a mechanical pump and shoving pipes all the way down till you get to the groundwater and then pumping it out with an electric pump and then running it through a fancy filtration system. No, this is written in a time where the way you got water was you sent somebody down to dig it. And they dug and supported and dug and supported and dug and supported and dug and supported until who knows how far down you have to go. The purpose in a man's heart, a man's motives, a man's desires, a man's approach to the world is like deep water. It is very difficult to get to. I mean, can you imagine if you've ever had to do any major digging around here, digging in that Carolina red clay? Can you imagine having to dig a 125-foot well by hand? Wow. Wow. I'm not talking with, you know, fancy drills. I'm talking about, you know, hey, Robert Slender, let's send him down. He digs and then builds the braces around it. The contrast here, though, is a man of understanding, one who has wisdom, one who's been given insight by God, is someone who's able to get to the very depths who spends the hard work, who spends the energy, who spends the required difficulty to get it out. Some of you in the room, having lived on farms, or maybe a bit older than me, know what it's like to draw water by hand. I don't. I am a suburban boy. But again, drawing (laughs) drawing water from a well by hand, if it's really deep, I mean, I would imagine you'd be really fit, have ripped arms because pulling water out would be a very exhausting process. Likewise, discerning how people operate is a bit of that difficult and tiresome and wearisome task. And realistically, so many people today don't actually do it. I mean, if you think about it, This is in so many ways just at the very beginning of the sermon a condemnation of the American culture in which we live because the American culture in which we live is about me discovering my pleasures and not me discovering how others operate. I mean, think about how much time we have in our educational system devoted to figuring out how other people think. How much we hear in our national media, how other people arrive at their conclusions. If you do not believe me, turn on any cable news channel at any point during the day for three minutes and see if it's an exercise in understanding or if it's an exercise in talking over. Watching how our culture is handling all of the various difficulties that are going on politically, financially, anything in our culture, it's not an exercise in understanding. It's an exercise in competition and an exercise in victory. Whereas God's people, his saints, who've devoted themselves to his word, are going to gain wisdom because we're going to understand how people operate. And there's a lot of reasons why people are like these deep wells that are difficult to get. There's a lot of reasons why people are like life comes at you fast. And man, they're hard to understand. Verse 9, it's sin. Who can say, who who can say, I've made my heart pure. I am clean from sin. Who can say that? Can you say that? Sin has altered the human landscape so that when we interact with anyone, it's filtered through the context of lingering corruption at best. Do you want a fun thought just to kind of ponder this? You think about a couple who's married for 60 or 70 years in this place. You're likely to get to know someone well after 60 or 70 years. But even 60 or 70 years into a marriage, it's a marriage that is tainted with the lingering corruption of sin. And when those two saints perish and they go to heaven, they go to the life eternal, the blessed life in God. When they first encounter each other there, they will know each other better in the first minute than they ever will have in the 70 years previous. Because the sin's taken away. The posturing, the covering, the... Trying to hide the mixed motives. The evil. In fact, actually, that's another element of this difficult task of learning how people operate. Is Living in a world of sin means we're living in a world of mixed motives. And only God's people are perfectly equipped to understand that and to process it. I love how the Proverbs speak about the sluggard. First off, that is a great word. It's just pleasing to say sluggard. It it conveys in the way it just even says in the English. It's it's an unpleasant word, and it's supposed to be. Verse 4, the sluggard. Does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. The sluggard is a person who is all about their desires, all about their pleasures, but they can't even fulfill them. Their competing desires confuse them. So whereas they want to eat, they want to work less than that, and then later they're confronted with the inability to eat Verse 13 highlights this even more clearly. Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes. and know I have plenty of bread. Man, I'm hungry, but I just want to sleep more. I'd love to say I've never done that, but unfortunately I think we probably all have. Their relationship is one in which they're dominated by their pleasures. They're dominated by their desires. The problem is those desires are mixed at best and it's confusing. I mean, think about how many times even in your own heart you've had this moment where you, you love the Lord and you're trying your best to love the Lord with all of your, your heart's desire, all of your delight, all of your strength, all of your might, all of your ability. But you know, when you wake up in the morning and the alarm goes off, it's do I hit snooze or do I kind of drag myself out of bed and spend at least five minutes in the scriptures before I go to work? I mean, I'm sure that never applies to any of us in here. Mixed motives, verses 10 and 23, the Lord condemns unequal weights and unequal measures. They're an abomination to the Lord. And it's interesting here how it's highlighting how even these mixed motives leach into business practice where uh, maybe we like our customers, maybe we don't. Maybe we cheat them, maybe we don't. Maybe we're good, uh, a, c- a good company, maybe we're not. The Lord hates it. Verse 21 highlights it in a different way and one that maybe isn't quite as obvious in an American culture. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. We tend to not think about this one because we tend to not really think about a hasty inheritance. And if you actually pause and reflect for a moment on a hasty inheritance, there's only a couple of ways that you inherit early. Early. One is you can help the process. Bump off mom and dad, get their money. We never hear stories about that today, do we? All the time. I mean, some of you love those murder shows on television where they have to catch the person and they killed him. What are they doing? And the 48 Hours Mystery. It's an attempt to gain an inheritance or wealth or financial blessing early. More commonly in the time in which this is written, it would be a child going to mom and dad and saying, I'm no longer part of your home. I'm no longer your child. I demand my inheritance now. Prodigal son. To say I'm an adult. I don't belong to your home. I don't respect you. You're not my mom and dad. I'm cut off. And the proverb is clear. Shockingly, people that arrive at inheritances that way don't tend to fare well because they're valuing their money more than they're valuing their family. Again, this mix of sin and deceit and confusion in the soul. 14 is, I think, probably, to me, the most comical. Again, this doesn't resonate in an American culture as clearly because we tend to not haggle very much when we shop. I mean, if you go down to Walmart, you load your, you know, your cart and you go to the checkout, and the, the lady or gentleman is like, that'll well, be 104.29. And you're like, that's great, I got 75 bucks. <laughs> I suspect it will not go well for you. But in a culture in which haggling is a common occurrence, what's the best way to haggle? How much is this, sir? Well, it'll be $20. For this piece of junk? I mean this thing's terrible. It's awful. Why would I pay $20 for this? This is, this is the worst made one I've ever seen. Why on earth would you charge me $20 for that? I'll pay 3. <laughs> and you end up walking out $14 and what do you do when you get away? <laughs> yeah. This is the best thing I ever bought for $14. People are confusing because people are liars. Because people have mixed motives, because people have sin that confuses all of who they are, even into verse 17. Uh, Part of why people are confusing is because they delight in evil, even though it's bad for them. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. I can tell you this was a portion of my middle school. My middle school years where uh, I'm like, ooh, I'm doing something evil. I'm not going to get caught. I'm going to get away with it. It feels good. It's nice. I've made it. Until mom and dad find out. (laughs) And then his mouth will be full of gravel. That sweetness of bread, that joy, that delight, that gladness, that goodness, you think, goes sour. It's not so good it's not so great and even the things that you want backfire for you so much of understanding people is a connection understanding how sin operates and this is why I say this is only for God's people because only God's saints have the ability to understand sin in this way because we're the only ones that understand God's law I mean, look at how our culture is trying to handle all of these things. Again, more education. Education's good, please don't hear me argue for ignorance. That's a terrible idea. But is education as a solution to sin? Is not it? More social institutions, more governmental assistance, more money, more Republicans, more Democrats, more Libertarians, more whatever it is, we shove onto the problem to say we can understand the world and try to solve sin. And only God's people are equipped to say, no, look, we're made in God's image and we have violated God's law and God's creatures have fallen. The passage continues in saying part of the other reason why people are so hard to understand is out of design. This is a fun one to think about. God's humans are not designed to be simple creatures. We're not intended to be that. Dogs are simple creatures. You can pretty much tell what a dog is thinking all the time. If you see its teeth snarling, it's bad. If its tail is moving, it's happy. It's pretty simple. Cats, likewise. If you see them, they would prefer to be killing you. That's pretty much (laughs) how the cat's operating. Now, joking aside, I think I've used this before, but the illustration of the the study that came out in Britain a couple months ago where they discovered that house cats would kill and eat their owners if they were large enough to do so, but they're just not big enough to actually act it out. I'm not joking when I say they hate you. They really do. They're great creatures. Part of our design, though, is we're designed to, to model the Lord God. We are made in his image. We're not made in the image of the animals. The image of the animals are simple creatures, they're understandable in some form or fashion. It's why when you know, people are like lion tamers and they get mauled and they're like, oh, we've never seen the lion do that before. I'm like, Are you kidding? It's a lion. That's what it's made for. We, on the other hand, were made to be complicated creatures to have depths that are not easily drawn out. Verse 12, we're made to have senses. It's part of our design as physical creatures. God knows what he's doing. He knows who he's made. Verse 27, this is my favorite in this entire chapter. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching his innermost parts. God made us with a conscience. We have an internal flashlight that looks at the various parts of our insides in a way that nothing else in creation has. It's part of our design in God's image. It's what makes people so uniquely confusing compared to the animals. Your cat is not sitting there at home contemplating its own existence or if it has wronged you. It doesn't care, it knows it's wronged you. We, on the other hand, have consciences that make people do strange things sometimes. Even verses 11 and 29 highlights and God even understands the developmental process of people. He's made people so they grow differently. Children behave a certain way in eleven twenty-nine, highlights young men and old men. If the standard is gray hair, I know which camp I fall in now. God has designed us to be this way so that we're intentionally complicated creatures because he is robust and rich and infinite and unfathomable. You can't fully understand or comprehend God in just a few moments. You can't come to church every Sunday morning for a, life, a, a lifetime of Sunday mornings in worship and in Sunday school and think you're going to comprehend who God is. He's too deep for that. Likewise, people are designed to be the same way. So what do we do? I mean, if we're Christians who live in a world that is filled with all of these complexities, it's filled with people who are intentionally designed to be complicated, which is then further complicated by sin, how should we live? Very quickly 22 and 24 highlight we are to turn to the Lord's ways. Don't say, I will repay evil for evil. Do what God says and he will deliver you. Verse 24, man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? You want to understand the world around you? The answer's not inside your own head. The answer is in this book. Your solutions to the complexities of the speed of life or the craziness of people around you or your boss or your friends or your family or your spouse or your children, it's in God, not in you. So turn to God's ways. Secondly, learn from suffering. That's how the chapter ends in verse 30. Blows, punches that wound. Cleanse away evil. That is really astonishing. For the people of God, the trials, the difficulties, and the suffering of this present time, every ounce of suffering is designed to clean you. Punches make clean the innermost parts. You know, for those of you that cook and cook fancy meat or whatever, you know, sometimes you'll take out the little hammer and you wail on the meat to break up the meat so it is softer and more tender and tastes better and is delicious. That's in essence what God is saying about you. He treats you the same way. Sometimes gets the hammer out and taps on you a little bit, sometimes a little more than a tap to soften you up to get all of the evil cleansed away. Verses 17 and 15, we cultivate integrity. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Uh, God's blessing is so generous, it's not just for you, it's passed down through the generations. One more, uh, two more actually, one more that's particularly important that comes up here and is gonna be a recurring theme through the end of the book. Verses 2, 8, 26, and 28 all highlight that if we are going to be wise in the world and understand how people operate, Christians must be aware of the dynamics of human power. The king here is not talked about positively. The terror of a king is like a growling lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life a little bit of awareness of how the world operates in terms of the dynamics of power. I think it's intriguing if you look at the ministry of Paul, how he managed, leveraged, and sometimes even controlled the Roman government around him. He absolutely knew what he was doing, which is amazing because the Roman government, they're famous for their politics. But knowing when to pull the, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen card. Knowing when to say, oh, yeah, no, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not letting you off with this. I want a trial. No, 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 no. I want Rome. Knowing, understanding the world in which we live and that we live in a world in which power is a real thing politically, ethnically, culturally, financially. And then lastly, verses 16 and 25, to be aware of the the dangerous and deceitful traps that are set along the way. And 25 is, I think, my favorite illustration. It is a trap to say rashly, oh, that's a good thing. Ah, it's holy. That's right. That's a good thing. And then after you've begun your process of worship, to then realize, "Mm, that's not a good thing. That's actually quite a bad thing. I think you could actually just say, the American church. Right there, that's it. How much the American even evangelicals, whatever you want to put there, to say, rationally to say, this is a good thing. Whatever this new thing is, it's good, we're going to do it. And then later to kind of go back and go, "Eh, maybe that was a bad idea. I mean, one of the largest churches in America just had their entire leadership resign. Both of their senior pastors, their entire session resigned this week, having to issue a corporate and public repentance on behalf of the session, which is the astonishing thing. That's the second time this has happened inside a decade for them. Good on them for handling it correctly, but man, we, we, we need to have some discernment in the world around us. Why is all of this so important? Jesus' command for his saints is that we be shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves. We're designed to be able to live in this world and, weirdly enough, I'm going to even say it, thrive in a sense. Yes, we live under the curse. Yes, it's harder. Yes, creation is groaning. Yes, we're longing for the life to come. But we do live in a world that was designed for us. I feel like sometimes... A lot of the Christian church lives like we feel like we're behind the eight ball. Like we feel like we're constantly like a chicken with our head cut off, just chasing every whim and every fancy and trying to kind of get our feet underneath us. We just don't feel grounded. And part of what he's saying here, God is saying to his people is, look, I've given you the path. So your life doesn't have to be quite so crazy. Because there's a lot of things you can't control. But the part you can doesn't need to be quite as crazy as you make it sometimes. Because God is so kind and so generous and so faithful and so loving that he even explains the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. May it be that we devote ourselves to understanding not just who God is, that's important, we need to know that, but devote ourselves to understanding who each other are. So that as we grow as a church, we continue to build the love and affection and understanding that should accompany the saints of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for books that are really hard to preach, like this one. We pray that you would teach us wisdom. You've said that if we lack, all we need to do is ask. We're asking. Make us wise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.